I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, acritarians, and things to episode 49 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? The Muppets and Star Trek. We have been doing one-to-one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight, we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest stars Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge, two guests in one show, and Star Trek original series episode Return to Tomorrow. But before we get to our reviews and discussion, Jarman, do we have any feedback? We do. We had a lovely message from Sean Vanderloo of the Soul Forge and Cosmic Pizza podcast on Facebook. You can also find him on Etsy, uh, Rusted Robot Toys. That's right. You should check out his toy stores. He's going to have a real brick and mortar one someday soon. So check out that. Right. So Sean says on Facebook, we here at the Soul Forge podcast absolutely love this episode, which was the past last one we did, which was what was that about again? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no P- that Pichula was clark. clark and uh was it the gangster thing maybe <laughs> you did a lot of impressions and bad voices throughout and i think that's what he really honed in on oh no it was the private little war with the buff people yes that's right and the klingon yeah that's right but anyways Uh, The unexpected laughter in the opening, the random swearing, and it was finally long enough. Way to go with the first wiki entry, too. It was finally long enough. (laughs) Oh, because that was the one where we picked our favorite uh, Muppets from this past season. Um, So we just had more more to discuss than usual. Yeah, so it was about a 50-something minute episode. And the wiki entry thing he's talking about because the Muppet wiki was uh, tweeting about us on uh, Twitter. It was really cool. And then uh, our old buddy and rocket scientist friend of the show, Ian Cohen, on Twitter said in a response to a tweet. Ian Cohen, we haven't heard from you in an age. I know, and apparently he's still listening, or at least uh, somewhat regularly. Um, A friend of his had tweeted, hey, I've got almost 100 hours of driving plan for the next few weeks. Any podcasts or playlist recommendations? For podcasts, I like science, tech, politics, history, documentary style. I'll try almost any music. And Ian said to this guy, I always recommend everything by a play on nerds. And we appreciate it, Ian. That was Aww. really nice. <laughs> he listened to two minutes and said, what the hell is this? And <laughs> never listened again. <laughs> and then he threw the A-Track tape out the window. How he got it, we don't know. I, we don't even print on A-Track anymore. But, you know, it was a long story getting there. But on uh, a laser disc. He broke it. <laughs> but Steve, tell us about our guest stars this evening. We have Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge. Who, who are these people, Steve? Well, Rita Coolidge was a singer-songwriter mostly known for her hit covers of songs like Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher, uh, and performed them, uh, and she performed the theme to 1983's Octopussy. Oh, yeah. Uh, But fun fact, she wrote the piano interlude for Eric Clapton's now-famous Layla. And didn't get credit for it. Didn't get credit for it until years later. Chris Christopherson was also a singer, songwriter, and actor. He wrote songs like Me and Bobby McGee. He famously became part of the country supergroup The Highwaymen, along with Waylon Jennings, uh, Willie Nelson, and Johnny Cash. That's right. He even won a Golden Globe for his role in the original A Star is Born. Well, they'd met and got married in the mid-70s and became country music's golden couple, though they did get divorced in 1980. What does our audience know them from? 
You've likely heard their music, but our generation doesn't really know Rita Coolidge, and Chris Christopherson is best known as Whistler from the Blade trilogy. <laughs> yeah, he was good in that, I thought. He was great. I really, I honestly didn't know he sung, sung for a really long time. Oh, yeah. I remember the day that my mom pulled out her Chris Christopherson albums. And I'm like, what? That guy sings? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's Whistler. Don't worry. I, I said the same thing during this episode of The Muppet Show. <laughs> On stage this week, <laughs> the opening number features Piggy singing, kind of singing with Chris, a very sexy number, quote unquote, uh, help me make it through the night. Really an underwhelming piece. Mm. Gonzo comes out to perform his piano balancing act, which actually goes well until he can't remember his sevens times tables and the piano collapses on him. Up next, we get a Muppet Labs with Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and his assistant Beaker, and they're testing atomic elevator shoes, which stretch Beaker's legs uncontrollably, and then he seemingly splits in the middle. Following this, we get a singer performing My Wild Irish Rose, who is then attacked by a Wild Irish Rose. The newsman comes out to update on the Henderson burglary where silverware has disappeared into thin air. It then falls and crashes on him per usual. Kermit introduces Rita who performs we're all alone with some woodland creatures. And it's really nice. Mm -hmm. After this, we get Sam and Rolf performing an English folk song, a frog. He would a wooing go where Sam pretends to be cultured, but he really just mumbles through the lyrics <laughs> and spouts farcical facts. <laughs> Following this is a familiar number. We've actually seen it before. Dr. Teeth, Zoot, and Floyd perform New York State of Mind. And this is actually from season two, Recycled. Oh, wow. Same exact footage uh, and everything, huh? Yeah. Mm. Uh, up next is a chicken playing the chimes until one comes back and hits it in the face, knocks it cold. Fozzie takes the stage, accompanied by Rolf, to sing Hi, Diddly Dee, an actor's life for me, uh, inter interspersed with Fozzie's terrible joke telling. Kermit comes out to introduce Rita and Chris, who perform in what appears to be a rundown bar or hall uh, that they perform a song I'd like to sing. Kermit gives one last thanks to Rita, Chris and Rita. Gonzo gets carried away by two chickens on a stretcher, hoping that it will drive up the price of his signature. If everyone thinks he's dead. And this is what we call the Muppet show. Indeed. Jarman, what did you think about this week's episode with special guests, Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge? So because while watching this episode, I went down a rabbit hole at one point looking up Rita Coolidge and Chris Christopherson, like their relationship. And then I watched, read an article about Rita Coolidge's new memoir that's, that's already come out and reveals a lot about Chris Christopherson. So I go from being like, oh, it's funny. He's having a hard time not laughing during uh, Miss Piggy's number with her, her duet, but it's kind of charming to at the end of the episode watching him sing with uh, Rita Coolidge and be like, you bastard. You're just a bad guy. So he was not very nice to Rita Coolidge. So that kind of okay. colored it for me. But also, yeah, his singing isn't the best in this episode. Um, the, the opening number, I was like, is he sick? Is that how? Is that really how he made his money? But he also couldn't keep his shit together. Like he kept laughing. Like and he couldn't help. Himself. And not only that, he kept turning the puppet upstage, so like you couldn't see Piggy for two thirds of the of the actual number because he just kept literally physically grabbing her and turning her away from camera. And he was like first fixing her hair because her hair was in her face and he he did turn her a little bit to pull the hair out of her face because he knew that the puppeteer couldn't do that, which was fine. But then you're right. Like he kept trying to get more hair out of her face, which wasn't necessary. And touching ears and like played with a ribbon in front of her face and stuff. It was just too much. It was, it was a too lot. much, Chris. Yeah, it was a little awkward. But um, a couple things stood out for me. I really liked for some reason the new use of Sam the Eagle doing this kind of different kind of sketch. <laughs> 
Because that was great. They always shoehorn him into the same kind of things over and over again. But this was very different. It was like him actually appreciating Ralph's talent um, and, um, and but just being really goofy and not really knowing what the hell he's talking about. It was really funny. He's normally the morality police, but it was funny to see him play like the uptight know nothing. Yeah. And, and really like enjoying himself and we can get to watch him have a good time and it's not ruined by some sketch going on wrong. You know, it's kind of nice. For a long time, frogs went woo woo. Uh, no, they didn't. Frogs go rivet. Not till recently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And hey ho, the meaning of hey ho has been lost to history. <laughs> lost to the ages. <laughs> and what does this mean then? Oh, that's just hogwash. <laughs> so that was. But cute. yeah, when he was trying to sing along and like making it up. Yeah, exactly. That was all great. It was great. Um, the jokes uh, during Fozzie's segment of "Hi, Italy, an actor's life for me." They, for some reason, this corny joke really hit my funny bone that time. Made me laugh out loud. Um, okay. She was a great singer, Rita Coolidge. I thought she was interesting to listen to. Not the best actress, but she was good to listen to. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, I, I think her number uh, with the Woodland Creatures. Oh God, why can't I find the name of the thing? <laughs> Just had like two or three woodland creatures around her. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Of course, I can't. I literally can't find it now in the middle <laughs> of this friggin' thing. We're we're all alone, which I recognize the song. I didn't realize that yeah. was the name of that song. I recognize it too. That she was the singer of it, but it was the best. It was the best performance in the entire episode. Yeah, without it, was, it with, hands down. She's better without him, and actually, that's part of their story too. Is that. He was always jealous of the fact that she had multiple studio albums. She's been as a singer, as a backup singer for multiple huge bands. And he ne- he started to get stuff, but not as much as her. He was getting more like TV and film jobs and stuff. Um, and but, I mean, he she's just, better without him. I just like to imagine he was sick for this episode because he did not perform. He kind of like half talk sang. He was flat that entire opening number. Yeah. Like the entire opening number. He was so underwhelming. I, agree. I would have been so much better if this was just Rita Coolidge. Yeah, I agree. But she, at the time, they were this golden couple. Yeah, it was a big thing. It was like Benefer. It was a big deal. They were there. To, exactly. It was a big deal. They were there together. Yeah. And it was like right in the middle of all that. But otherwise, like there is a lot of good Muppet moments and cute segments and the atomic elevator shoes and all that stuff. And uh, so th- this is the first episode of season three. Right. Um, And. They started, I feel like, regressing this episode. There were a lot of things in this episode that felt like season one. Hmm. The quick backstage cuts and jokes that were like no more than a few seconds long. Yeah. I hated those in season one, and I hope they're not making a comeback this season. I hope this was a fluke of some sort. Yeah, not like a whole backstage subplot that's like a thread throughout. It's more just like right. little like jokes here and there. It was kind of the diner, and that's actually uh, one of the, one of my critiques is that they they almost started like four different backstage plots. Piggy trying to make Kermit jealous, the 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 uh, uh, Gonzo getting ready for his piano act back in the whatever the hell that diner is that's suddenly there. Yeah, um, Gonzo giving Chris the thing, and he like they almost started three or four different backstage plots, and they just abandoned all of them after one t- one try. Yeah, it's like maybe they're trying to scattershot a lot of new ideas for the new season and just kind of. And that might be it. Maybe they're trying sticks. out something new. Um, but I hope that this is not more of what's to come in season three now that I'm paying more attention. Yeah, and I'm glad you can't remember. So it'll be new to you again, basically. Exactly. That'll be fun. So I think a middling episode because we're kind of like figuring out 
where season three's footing is going to be. Uh, music this week. Help me make it through the night written and composed by Christofferson. He got the inspiration from an interview with Sinatra in Esquire magazine. Uh, Frank was asked what he believed in, to which he replied, booze, broads, or a Bible. Whatever helps me make it through the night. Hmm. <laughs> My Wild Irish Rose, written by Chauncey Alcott, an Irish-American singer, songwriter, and actor. He died in 1932 from what at the time was called pernicious anemia, but is better known nowadays as a vitamin B12 deficiency. Oh, that should have been so easy to fix. Pernicious anemia. <laughs> well, damn. <laughs> We're All Alone, written by Boggs, Boz Skaggs, uh, who oh, released yeah. his own version just shortly before this. This is literally the exact same arrangement, tempo, and key. So a lot of disc jockeys made unofficial duets of Rita and Boz by just playing the tracks over each other. Oh, wow. I love to hear that. Uh, a Frog He Would a Wooing Go, an English folk song. Uh, the only fact I could find is that a Raleigh Poli uh, that is referenced in it uh, was an English pastry made out of a lard crust covered in jam and then rolled and then baked or steamed mm. New York state of mind. As I mentioned, this is a recycled from the a UK spot in season two, which was just put in as a main segment for this season. Weird. Lazy uh, for me and my gal written by George W. Meyer, a 1942 movie of the same name was made featuring Judy Garland. And it was the film debut of Gene Kelly. Oh, hi diddly D is actually from Disney's Pinocchio. I thought it was composed so. Yeah, it was composed by Oliver Wallace, who also did other Disney classics like Dumbo, Cinderella, and Old Yeller. Very nice. A song I'd like to sing, another big hit for Chris Christopherson. Fun fact about him, he was a Rhodes Scholar and attended Oxford University. Chris Christopherson did? Yes. Wow. Wouldn't have known. He was a military brat and spent his entire youth like living everywhere. I heard he's a boxer, too. Uh, yeah, he's, and then he served uh, military service and then... He's kind of a crazy individual. He's done a lot. And he has an alcohol problem. <laughs> or he did. Jarman, right. what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment this week? Um, we didn't mention it too much, but it was, I think, very well executed. And it was a short moment, but it was Gonzo bouncing on a piano while no, bouncing a piano while standing on a hammock. <laughs> so it was very that, well done, I thought. That was the I that's what I wrote too. And that was the only really technical Muppety moment that happened this week. Yeah, otherwise, I'm looking around, it's like, here's some Muppets over there standing around. Here's some over there standing around. There wasn't anything that like crazy. Like, Beaker floated up out of the air and extended his legs. So that was fun and a cute bit. Um, and there was a moment where I went, why is he on a hammock? And then I realized because he couldn't be on a tightrope because a performer couldn't hide behind a tightrope. Uh, yep, that makes sense. <laughs> but I just had the moment of, why the hell a hammock? Oh, yeah. Oh. And the kids Remembering, have thought oh, of that. he's a puppet, right? <laughs> These right. aren't real beings. I forget <laughs> that sometimes. Uh, but I totally agree. Best jump cheering moment was Gonzo bouncing the piano because it was the only real one to point at this week. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. That little short moment. Jarman, tell us about this week's episode, Star Trek, the original series. So now we have Return to Tomorrow, getting towards the end of season two of Star Trek original series here. Man, what a bait and switch. I thought they were, it was going to be a time travel episode. I mean, I couldn't remember what it was either, but now I know it was not a time travel episode. No, it was not. <laughs> so uh, the Enterprise answers a stress call from a lifeless planet. So that's already weird. And once they get there, a telepathic being talks to them from deep below the surface. He says his name is Sargon, and he would like them to beam down to below the planet's surface where he is. He insists that it be Kirk, Bones, Spock, and a new lady on the scene, a Lieutenant Commander Anne Mulhall, 
who's played by the same actress who would later be Dr. Pulaski on The Next Generation. And she plays oh. another role, role, I think, later on in another episode of the original series. They just kind of reuse her again. So uh, they are beamed down by Sargon to a chamber inside the planet where they find that Sargon's essence and consciousness is being held in this big glowing orb thing. Um, Sargon tells them that they are only, uh, there are only him and two others of his uh, race left on the planet in these two other orbs. And they became so advanced back then that they thought they were gods, which caused a huge war or a rift in their society. So everything was going to come to an end. So they sent out tons of vessels and ships to the, spread their race among the stars at habitable planets. And that's why he keeps calling them children over here, or my children, because he thinks they might be his descendants, possibly. So they left many of their consciousness behind these orbs, hoping that one day these children would come back to them so they could teach them the great technologies and sciences and the ways of their old society once their children came back. So... Hmm. Sargon demonstrates that he can take over Kirk's body at will, which angers the rest of the team because he basically steals Kirk's body. But he soon gives Kirk's body back because when he takes over a human body, it raises their heart rate and their temperature super high very fast. So they can only do it for a short amount of time. But when Kirk gets back to his body, he tells the others that he melded with Sargon's mind a bit in the transference and he believes Sargon's intentions are good. So we'll see about that. Uh, So Sargon proposes allowing the final three minds they have left of their people to take over the bodies of Kirk, Spock, and the new commander, uh, Mulhall, so they can make android bodies for themselves and then return the bodies and the Vulcan body um, as so then they as androids will teach the rest of the universe their great knowledge. So once back in the Enterprise, Bones and the others are a little reticent at first, but Kirk gives this amazing speech and he convinces them all that it's a good idea to give it a shot because they can get great, great knowledge from this. So they transfer over to the three bodies of Kirk, Spock, and Mulhall, uh, but find the human bodies require a formula so that their bodies don't burn out too quickly. But meanwhile, Henoch, who's the entity inside of Sc- uh, Spock's body, finds that Vulcan bodies can handle them for much longer. So he tells the others, go rest for a while. Let their human bodies rest. I'll make the formula to help the humans stay alive longer. <laughs> That's fine. It's definitely fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he goes off with Nurse Chapel. And in reality, though, Henoch was one of the opposite factions of Sargon back when they had bodies, back uh, 250,000 years ago, I think you said it was. So he betrays Sargon and gives him a fake formula instead for Kirk's body. So stuff goes on, but once they transfer back to bodies to the humans, Kirk's body eventually uh, dies, and Henoch assumes Sargon is dead as well because he's too far away from his orb. So when Kirk dies, he thinks Sargon's dead too. But when the entity inside Mulhall wants to keep her body as well and almost kills Bones to do it, uh, but then realize that this is what causes their society to collapse in the first place, this hubris of taking over people's bodies without asking them, she releases Bones. She sees how wrong she was. And it reveals that Sargon was actually still alive and just testing her to see if she was actually, you know, good of will or whatever. So they band together to trick Henoch, who is now in charge of the Enterprise in Spock's body, and they decide to knock him out using um, a cocktail strong enough to knock out a Vulcan's body. And they send his consciousness into oblivion. Meanwhile, Sargon and Mohal, um, Mohal's entity, or rather, send themselves into oblivion too, knowing that it'd be too tempting to take human bodies in the future and they'll just go off together because they were lovers. I didn't mention that, but they were married back when they were in human bodies. Yeah, they talk about it and her and Kirk touch a lot. Do a lot of touching, kissing, staring, you know, that kind of thing. But that's pretty much the end of the episode. So, Steve, what did you think of this episode? All right, so things I liked. Uh, that they were an ambivalent advanced species who wasn't just toying with 
with the Star Trek crew like normal. Right. <laughs> uh, Shatner specifically, I think, did a very good job of portraying when he was possessed. Mm. And not everyone else did that well. But I think Shatner specifically really did well. The Android solution was surprisingly elegant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved that purple flame effect that she used on McCoy. Yeah. <laughs> where she's torturing him. And that was just like two gas ranges that that's, they like <laughs> mirrored in at each other. That's all it was. That's true. I didn't think of that. That's really fun. Um, it was just a good clean effect. Um, good. The, the, uh, the ending, the trick at the end where Spock had transferred his consciousness into nurse chapel. Yeah. I didn't mention and that. And so even though she was taken over, he was not. Mm-hmm. was great that was great i didn't see it coming um i did like that it was sort of also a preview of vulcan mysticism because not only did kirk like i know it was necessary we have to get spock's body back to vulcan like he had a plan to get spock back oh yeah that's but, true but it never had to happen but it was neat that they previewed it almost they just mentioned that at least yeah that comes out later uh things i disliked so the, the enterprise has like 400 people on it mm-hmm. and doesn't go to starport often. How many crew members can Kirk see for the first time before we realize he's just an irresponsible captain? <laughs> who are you? What are you doing this mission? What, who are you? If you ever went to like a small university or something like that with a little amount of people, by the end of the first month, you know, everyone by sight. <laughs> So the idea that they've been on this starship for like months and he's never, oh my God. <laughs> and she's a lieutenant commander. Like that's the a high rank. Like he um, should know who that is. <laughs> so yeah, I was just, it was one of those things like, really? You don't, you've never seen her before? Really? All right. Like maybe a bunch of the ensigns or people's kids he might not know, but you're in um, the lieutenant commanders in the ship. That's a good point. And I know I complimented Shatner earlier talking about how he did really well possessed, um, but the scene where he's gathered all his advisors and they're deciding whether to let Sargon take them over and all that. Mm-hmm. He, he like randomly in the middle of the speech turned it up like four clicks for no reason. Just volume wise or just intensity volume wise? intensity. But out of, no, I was like, what is happening right now? We were having a scene. <laughs> now Shatner's yelling. It was like someone bumped his volume bar by accident in the middle of the night. And then they were, couldn't figure out how to get it down in the dark. Risk is our business. That's it's why we're aboard her. I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? <laughs> uh, not, I mentioned this, not everybody pulled off being possessed well. I just think Shatner specifically nailed it. Um, and if these entities can so easily just go and take over an android, why the hell do they have to banish themselves to oblivion? Because they're saying it'd be too tempting to take a human it. body in the future. So? <laughs> Wait for someone to die. You're yeah. all powerful be- beings. You can't explore the universe until you find someone who is made like humanoid androids. Wait like 60 years and get yourself a data. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I can't explain that aspect. But yeah, it was just weird that they were like, we have to leave now. Can we touch boobies one more time? Like, that was weird. <laughs> well, I have a few things uh, about it I loved. I mean, I think Leonard Nimoy actually was great in it, too, playing a laughing, like, uh, callous and confident uh, villain. I think he was- sure you don't get to see 
Spock cocky or smirky often. Yeah, it was great. And he seemed so comfortable in it. And I love that Shatner speech to no end. I think it's I forgot it's from this episode because I love that risk is our business. That's so great. Um, and Bones in the beginning was also worth mentioning. He had so much hilarious trepidation about using the transporter to go into solid rock. It was just a really funny season ser- uh, scene. And they call back to that in the movies and stuff. He just hates transporters. <laughs> so like they just get into it. But that's really great. Um, but yeah, I, surprisingly, I think this is my favorite original series episode so far. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, I didn't wow. remember this at all, but I think I've watching it with new eyes, but also I recognize that it, it's probably not my favorite episode individually by itself. It's only this good because of how well I know the characters by now. And I love the, the, the deviations they take and how well they do the, the, um, possessions and the speech, the, the feeling of what Starfleet's all about. And these beings that are, like you said, it's a different reason. It's not just they're playing with humanity. Um, it's an interesting sci-fi story. Laughing about, at our futility. Yeah, exactly. But it's like a good sci-fi story and the idea that they might have seeded other planets and it brings up questions. And I thought it was a and, and solid I think episode. Spock admits that their existence would explain some sort of blanks in early Vulcan culture and history. Yeah, like she, she mentions, oh, it doesn't really work with humans. But he's like, huh, with Vulcans, it might. And I was like, that's kind of neat. Um, but yeah, so I just think. It's one of my favorites so far. Um, just I thought it was just really well done. It was funny, well written. I, I d- didn't notice those holes that you mentioned, but they are accurate holes. I, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, uh, some trivia for this episode. I wouldn't have known this, but the voice of Sargon was played by James Doohan, or Scotty himself. So Okay. I, I tried to look it up on the IMDb page, and it was not listed anywhere. Oh, that's why it must be a trivia thing, because it's just not listed. Um, but he did a lot of voiceovers. It was great. But I liked how Kirk did like a great impression of Sargon when he did his voice. That was really cool. Um, so this is as Lieutenant Commander Anne Mulhall has the distinction of being the highest ranking female Starfleet officer shown in the original series, the entire series. We see her one time and Kirk has never met her before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she's the highest ranked female officer we've ever seen. Um this episode marks George Takei's return to the series after an absence of some months while filming the Green Berets. Uh, we haven't seen him in a while, but Chekhov is still was missing that episode. So that was unfortunate. Oh, they were both not there. You're right. But yeah, well, George Takei was there in this episode. He didn't say much, but he was there. But Chekhov was was not there. Um, That's how little he said is that I don't remember him. being <laughs> Exactly. He's like, yes, sir. That was it. Um, and the female entity was named Thalassa which is a Greek name for the sea. Henoch, the name of, of Spock's entity, is an, a variation of the Hebrew name Enoch, who in the book of Genesis was a man taken bodily to heaven without dying. So that's something calling back there. Yeah, uh, him and Jesus are like the only two people to ascend to heaven. Oh, well, there you go. Him and Enoch. Yeah. Um, so this is the second time a reference is made in Star Trek about the Apollo program. Uh, after the original series episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday, also with Tomorrow in the title, um, it was filmed more than a year and a half before the first lunar landing, and Kirk rhetorically asked McCoy in this episode, do you wish that the first Apollo mission hadn't reached the moon? And the first manned Apollo mission in real life, Apollo 1, um, intended to be a test flight of the command and service module in Earth orbit, never flew, and, and since a tragic fire claimed the lives of the three astronauts while they were just testing it, so that never actually made it to the moon. Wow. Um, and that happened months before this script was submitted to the production team and a full year before this episode aired. Um, wow. So 
The first Apollo mission in which astronauts orbited and technically reached the moon was in December 1968, Apollo 8, 10 months after this episode aired. Um, yeah, so it just said not accurate, but it was just interesting the history of that. And Kirk's next comments about going on to Mars and then the nearest star seem to suggest that he is referring to the Apollo 11 lunar mission, which he thought by then maybe would be going to Mars and further, but we never did. Oh, yeah, there was a whole amount of time where we thought we were going to Mars. Oh, yeah, probably on to like Jupiter and Venus, Pluto and all that stuff. But anyways, uh, episode writer, um, the episode and its writer, John T. Dugan, earned a Writers Guild of America Award nomination in the category of Best Written Dramatic Episode in 1968 for this episode, which I think somewhat justifies me loving this episode so much. <laughs> there nice. you go. So what are some Trek connections, Muppet connections this week, Steve? Uh, Richard Danis, who was a writer who worked on Next Generation episodes like Deja Q and Deep Space Nine episodes such as Battleline. Well, he also wrote and directed a 1992 film, No Place to Hide, with leading man Chris Christopherson. Oh. Uh, Stephen R. Hudis, who was a stunt performer for Voyager, also worked as Chris Christopherson's stunt double in No Place to Hide. Nice. Recently deceased Star Trek, the original series actress Joanne Linville was in a future upcoming episode, uh, The Enterprise Incident. She also played the role of Freddie in the Chris Christopherson film, A Star is Born. <laughs> and this is not a Trek connection, but the fact was so good. I think you're going to dig it. Rita Coolidge lent her voice to two animated films in the early 80s, The Christmas Raccoons and The Raccoons on Ice. <laughs> Both of these were narrated by Muppet Show guest and one of our all-time worst, Rich Little. Oh. <laughs> Some Muppet Muppet connection there. Yeah, Muppet just terrible connection. <laughs> so it's basically the same episode, huh? Yeah, it's it's really the same. And we're gonna explain how these episodes are so so similar. Uh Chris Christopherson has a hard time not laughing all the way through his first number, just like how Henoch has a hard time not laughing through all his lines. There you go. Uh, both feature puppets, the Muppets. And Kirk and the crew being taken over and used. Like puppets. Yes. Like puppets. Uh, just how Beaker gets too tall to stand using his newfound power of atomic legs. The advanced beings fall from grace when they become too entranced by their own power. Ooh. Yeah. Deep, right? Both feature <laughs> couples, Chris and Rita and Sargon and Thalassa. Well, look at that. <laughs> Uh, Miss Piggy tries to convince Kermit that Hollywood relationships can't work, and when she do and when he doesn't comply, she threatens to hurt him. Just as Thalassa tries to convince Bones that she should be able to take the body of Mulhall and threatens him with violence if he doesn't comply. Okay, same All episode. Right. <laughs> Someone is thought to be dead when they aren't. Gonzo after the piano piano act, and Spock after the orb destruction. Well, look at that. And uh, Chris. <laughs> Christopherson tries to convince Rita Coolidge the show is weird when they're in the dressing room at one of the scenes, but she defends it. Just as Bones tries to convince the command crew that the deal the beings are making isn't legit, but Mulhall defends it. Same okay. episode. Love it. Same episode. Oh, God, what is that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. All right, here's the part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa. What you got for us, Steve? This week, Muppets to Trek, I've got replacing Chris with Sargon because he would be just as wooden and the stinging couldn't be worse anyway. 
I am here to sing a song. <laughs> Let me touch your hair and face too much. <laughs> Come here, Peggy. <laughs> no, do not face the camera. Look at Sargon. Only Sargon. <laughs> okay. I have, uh, for Muppets the Trek, I have Rita Coolidge replaces Thalassa, or Mohal. Uh, she could just sing all of her lines, and I would be lulled into complacency and do whatever she asked, because she had a low, low, lovely, sultry voice. All right. Treks to Muppets, I've got bringing over Bones to replace Dr. Bunsen Honeydew, <laughs> who just wouldn't be having any of it, and would explain why everything was so dangerous, only to have Beaker get really loud for some reason and do it anyway. <laughs> that sounds good. I have Sargon... Kind of the opposite, replacing Chris Christopherson. Uh, was that the same as you said, actually, isn't it? Oh, I said it for a different reason, though, because he'd be a much more loyal and loving partner to Rita Coolidge than Chris Christopherson was. That's right, Chris Christopherson. Because Sargon got some action in this episode, I'm just saying. That's right. Some would say he got a piece of the action. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> so that brings us to the end of episode 49 of the Opatrek podcast. Join us next time for our very special 50th episode where we're going to be taking a break from the shows and we will be reviewing the Muppet movie and Star Trek, the motion p picture in Muppet Trek fashion. Yeah. So from the lovers, the dreamers and us live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Sargon is glad you joined us. Sargon wants you to leave now. Look at no one else, Piggy. <laughs> Only Sargon. <laughs>